One of the joys um, in having slightly older children now, I've got Ellie who's 10 and Barney who's 8, is that you can farm them off at the summer. And they go and stay with grandparents and that kind of thing. They have weeks away in Swansea or in Shropshire, as, as happened this summer. And one of the joys of that is that Zoe and I get to do a bit of housework and sorting stuff out. We get our evenings back because the 10-year-old and the 8-year-old have disappeared. And they give us hours in the evening to make stuff from Ikea, which is what we did. We um, went on to the Ikea website and we got various things delivered. Um, Ikea.com is pretty quick and pretty helpful. And now we have filing systems and drawers and cupboards and boxes and napkins and candles, stuff we didn't really want, but you get them anyway, don't you? The problem then, when you've got children around with DIY, you see, as some of you will know, is they want to get involved. They want to kind of jump in and help. They want an Allen key. They want to play with the drill. And they love it. It's much easier to do it on your own. But if they're there, there's something quite nice about teaching them to do house stuff, to be creative, to be practical, um, to learn some good skills. We wouldn't let Josh touch it because he's four and he's slightly crazy. But the other two um, may well get a chance. It seems to me that as we read Acts, there's something like that kind of a building project in mind as you read what Luke is writing. If you remember last time we said Luke, the gospel, part A, was what Jesus began to do and teach, but in Acts, it is what he, by implication, continues to do and teach. And he does that through people, the church. We saw last time it was founded upon the reality of the resurrection. This wasn't just something that people had dreamt up, a sort of comfort blanket for them to cling on to because life is hard and the world is dark, but it was real. And we said he was empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit that he would send to them as well. I think it would be easier to do it by himself. It would be easier for Jesus to continue by himself. But he gives us an Allen key. He says, come on. Come on, let's go and do this. This is his mission. It's his work, but he uses people. And so last time we said, know that Jesus really rose again. And we said, know that Jesus really will empower you, because this is an ongoing, forward-looking story. This is the church beginning to grow. They were cowering, cowardly, timid Christians, and something transformed them. Something made them very different, made them into heroes. So, our first point for this evening is that God's kingdom is heralded by spirit-empowered witnesses. Have a look at verse 6 in front of you there. It all starts off with this slightly strange question from the apostles. They gathered round him and they asked him, Lord, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? At this time are you going to do it? I take it they were expecting in line with Old Testament prophecies that Jesus to come and to usher in a physical kingdom now. It was going to happen now. And we think, silly old disciples, silly old apostles, there they go again, mucking it up. And yet Jesus' answer to them isn't a rebuke. He doesn't say, don't be so stupid. It seems like he reinterprets their question in line with the Holy Spirit. Prophecies about the giving of the Holy Spirit in light of Israel being a spirit-filled witnessing community. He doesn't say to them, don't be so stupid. He says, no, no, here's what's going to happen. 
It's not time for you to, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That is when, in some sense, this kingdom will arrive. I'm not going to do it now. You're going to do it when the Spirit comes. And if they knew their Bibles, then perhaps they shouldn't have been quite so surprised. So 700 years beforehand in Isaiah, um, he foretells a time when God's people will be his witnesses. The witnesses they were always meant to be. They were always meant to be a light to the Gentiles. They were always meant to show a watching world what God was like. But that hadn't worked. And so Isaiah foretells this. He says, 43 verse 10, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Or a bit further on, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Or again, a bit further on, don't tremble, don't be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? And it seems that as Luke is writing, he is looking back to that time that Isaiah looked forward to when they would be his witnesses. It continues like this. All who make idols are nothing. And the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. God is God, he says. Other gods are simply idols. Actually, it links him really well with what we're looking at this morning in Ephesians and in Acts 19. Do you remember um, Demetrius saying... Paul has come in with this gospel and he says that Artemis it is not God. She should not be worshipped. And they try and boot him out. Well, Isaiah says here, who shapes a God and casts it into an idol? Who can profit nothing? And so now comes a time when God's spirit will come and will open the mouths of his people. He helps us to talk to people about him. I was reading a very interesting quote from um, a pastor and an author who's dead now, a guy called David Watson. came from more, I guess, a charismatic side to the church as well. Um, He ministered up in York. And he said this. He said, The spirit is concerned not primarily with religious experiences, but with the truth of the gospel and with the truth of God's word. It's striking, isn't it? We see that in glorious technicolor in these verses, or as we see acts unfold. God's spirit is given, and people's mouths are opened, and the gospel goes out. He empowers them for ministry. He transforms them from cowering weaklings to sort of mighty heroes preaching in front of thousands. And he empowers them to be witnesses. I take it in the Old Testament it was just a few people for a particular time or a particular purpose who were given God's spirit. Individuals set apart for ministry, so kings or prophets or judges. But when the new covenant comes, God's spirit comes, and they open mouths about him. There's a sense in which we're all prophets. Which means if you're here this evening and you would call yourself a Christian, then you have God's spirit living in you. And the reason you have God's spirit living in you is at least in a big part so that you will be bold and tell others of the gospel of him. It's interesting, the power word there, 
and that he picks up in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Afterwards in Acts, that is very, very often tied up with bold witnessing, with telling people of Christ. If you were here last week, we were thinking a bit together about how great the news of the gospel is, how it would be very easy to have a kind of wobbly year where we don't really do very much, but actually the fact we want to be faithful and press on. We want to tell others of the good news of Jesus, to press on in prayer, to press on in evangelism, to be spirit-empowered witnesses. That's us as a church. I suspect that's you as an individual as well. I know some of you are new to Oxford. It's great, isn't it, that God can use us and our faltering lips, however weak we might feel, because we're great, but because he empowers us. Not so that we will trust in the gifts he's given us or in our own strength, but so that we will trust in him. Maybe you've got new neighbours or course mates, whatever it might be. I remember being exactly in your shoes and you head to university and you think, I'm, I'm not sure whether I can do this. Perhaps I'll just be a kind of quiet Christian and not do very much, but... It seems to me as we read Acts chapter 1 and particularly these two verses, we should take great courage and excitement because he uses us amazingly when we're not up to it. It's how we're meant to be. He gives us the Allen key. He says, come on, let's go and get on with it. Let's do this. I remember one thing someone said to me once which really encouraged me was that just think that that one conversation with someone, that five minutes, may completely change their life around. Not because you're great, but because the gospel is powerful. That one conversation can completely turn their life upside down. It can change them forever. So be encouraged. Let God use you. This is a story that's unfolding. It's a story that's looking forwards as Jesus continues to work in his world through his people, as he empowers them by his spirit. It's a story that looks forward, but it's a story as well that started a long time ago. Um, It strikes me, as you read these verses, that in the back of our mind might be a promise that God made to a man called Abraham. Remember Abraham? He was this old-age pensioner there with his wife. Uh, and God says to him, from one from your family, I'm going to bless the whole world. One from your family is going to come um, and will reach the ends of the earth. And so as you begin Acts, you begin to see some of these things being worked out. These promises being fulfilled. You see God's faithfulness to Abraham. He's not forgotten him. God promised Abraham, at firstly actually, that he would be with him. That he would be his God, that he would be with his descendants. And what do we have here in Acts? We have God's Holy Spirit coming to live in his people. You, you can't get much closer than that. Here is God answering that promise to Abraham. God promises Abraham his family is going to bless the whole earth. Verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God fulfilling faithfully. So first point, 
God's kingdom is to be heralded by spirit-empowered witnesses. Now all of God's people will receive the spirit and be given power to open their mouths for him. Second point, God's kingdom reaches to the ends of the earth. So 1 verse 8, have a look at it with me, is an absolutely key verse. It's a key verse in the whole of the book of Acts. It's a key verse, I think, actually in in the whole of church history as well. So you've got these concentric rings going out. The first place where they will be witnesses is in Jerusalem, the city where they are now. That's to be the sort of first phase of witnessing. And we see that in chapters 2 to 7. As you read through Acts, you see that coming to pass. You see the Spirit at work through his people in Jerusalem. But then as you read chapters 8 to 12, you see the message moving on to Judea and Samaria. And then you even see it to the ends of the earth. And we sort of zoom in on Paul as he takes the message on boats and goes further afield into Europe. Chapters 13 to 28. So Jerusalem, phase one. Judea and Samaria, phase two. Then the ends of the earth, phase three. And then I take it as history rolls on to us. Acts continues. It's striking that Jesus is not just for a certain people at a certain time. But this message has rolled on and rolled out. The risen and exalted and now ascended Lord Jesus is Lord of all the earth. This is not just lifestyle advice. This is news. The fact that he dies. The fact that he rose again. The fact that people witnessed his resurrection. The fact that he ate. Back there in verse 4. means that this news needs to get out. So that should mean, as you think of your, perhaps your atheist friend with a fast car and sky-high self-confidence, then actually we've got news for them. Not just that they would be happier and more fulfilled if they knew the God they were made to be in relationship with, which is true, but actually they belong to him because he is risen And he has ascended. He is Lord of the earth. It means that we can chat to cynical retiring folk with their big fat nest egg. Not just because they will soon face eternity, but because the Lord Jesus is their king. They will bow the knee to him one day. It also means, it strikes me, that we don't need to spend sort of hours or years getting to know someone to sort of earn the right to talk to them of the gospel. Because this is just news. It's not our message. It's his message. Maybe you're here this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. That's great to have you with us. We very often, always in fact, have people who wouldn't call themselves Christians coming along on a Sunday and listening in and chatting stuff through and asking questions. You probably need to know that, that we think these things are really important at Magdalen Road Church. We, we kind of read Acts as if it happened. We read the resurrection as if it's true and not just Jesus alive in the message that we preach. But actually he rose again and took on a body and has ascended to the Father. He's king of everything. 
We'd love you to think more about that if you want to ask questions. I'd love to chat to you afterwards. We often have Christianity Explored groups, a chance to think through some of the claims of the Christian faith, to look at Jesus from Mark's Gospel, to ask the questions that, that you've got, perhaps that you've never dared to ask. Um, we've got a number of people already who are interested in the next month or so. We'd love to start a Christianity Explore group. So please do come and chat to me afterwards if that would help you. Um, it's why, as well, this message of Jesus being risen and ascended, this message that goes to the ends of the earth, is why we love local churches. Because it seems to me that the gospel is taught and spoken of and lived out in local churches. That's what happens as you read Acts. They send people out the gospel takes root this little sort of plant grows and flourishes and people gather together and you've got this church plant happening and then it happens again and again and again these gospel are these gospel churches being established planting is important to us as we meet now trinity church has probably just finished their first public service in the center of town that's exciting i plant with a number of people from Magdalen road church beginning today um because we want the gospel to get out. Or we've got Cowley uh, Church Community meeting up in the sort of Temple Cowley area near, near Templar Square. Uh, a small group gathering together through the week thinking about how they can, they can love and they can serve and they can speak to their local area of the good news of Jesus. And we hope and pray many, many more in years to come. There's a lot of Oxford with very few churches. We would love to see that happen. The other thing I'm struck by as you read verse 8 is that the gospel is for all kinds of places as well. It was for the large city of Jerusalem, a place of influence and importance. It was a, a hub, a centre of commerce and religious ideas and um, thought structures, and it was key, influential. But then the gospel goes out to Judea and to Samaria and the little towns all around, the sort of suburbs, the bywaters, countryside. And then it goes out further than that from country to country too. All kinds of people with different backgrounds and stories and personalities and framework for thinking and worldviews. But this message of Jesus, who died and was raised again, and now is ascended to the right hand of the Father, this good news, this gospel, applies to everyone. And you see that happening as you forward through Acts as well. You see this pattern being filled out. Again, you've got these large places of influence where the gospel takes root and then plants going out from there. Missionaries sent. Churches established. Jesus is continuing his work through his people. So we're to be spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth. I'm just struck as well, it may be the first time you've ever considered the need or the possibility of taking this gospel abroad to the ends of the earth. Maybe heading out yourself, that was perhaps for you always the thought that somebody else would do that. We are the ends of the earth, in one verse eight type sense. We are the sort of third stage here in the UK. But we're also a part of the people who, who are sent and who keep sending. So it struck me as I was preparing, might it be that the Lord has sort of shaken you up? To think perhaps this mission to the ends of the earth is something that you ought to be involved in. 
that you ought to be caught up in? Might he be calling you out? If that is you, a couple of things to say. One is to just do missionary stuff day by day. I don't think it's going to be easier if you're sent out to somewhere. Actually, you need to be faithful daily. Talking to friends and colleagues and neighbours and um, just people about the Lord Jesus. But secondly, come and chat. We would, or we are a church that would love to, to reach East Oxford, to reach Oxford, to reach the world, to send missionaries, to plant churches. So if you feel you want to be a part of that, perhaps you just wonder whether the Lord might be calling you, then do come and chat to me. We're to be spirit-empowered witnesses to the very ends of the earth.